South Sudan and North Sudan, they told me, Jacob, when you go back with your brothers and sisters, please send our greetings and our appreciation and our love to you. And so I give that to you now in the name of Jesus from them. God bless you. Um, and on a personal note, um, standing here before you, is it, my heart is just bubbling with appreciation and joy. Uh, Carol and I have received so much love from you all. Um, words can't express our appreciation to you. Um, you have given of your people, you've given of your time, you've given of your resources, uh, you've shown love to us that really exemplifies the love of Jesus Christ, and we are grateful. We are very, very grateful. We are so grateful that, that our grandchildren, our daughter, Kenny, are in this church, um, we're grateful for the family that they're a part of, the Danley family, and I'm, we're so grateful that they're a part of Rocky Point. And it brings great comfort to Carol and me to know that our dear, sweet Clara and Kira are being raised up in a church that loves Jesus. So thank you. Thank you so very, very much. Um, and the greatest privilege also is to be able to uh, to be able to stand before you and share God's word with you. And, and I've been praying and praying and praying that um, God uh, would speak in a clear, concise way to each and every one of us this morning. And uh, I believe he will do that. When we pray, we believe, right? <laughs> uh, and I believe that he is here with us. And he is going to speak to us. He's going to minister to us through his word, by his Holy Spirit. And each one of us will come out of this building different. Because we've met with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords through his word. And so, I want to bring our attention to his word. First and foremost, in the text is Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. Um, it was encouraging to hear Tony say that you all been focusing on these verses already. Uh, it's not easy for you to understand why me as a missionary would use this text, I'm sure. <laughs> it's not a text just for missionaries, though. It's a text for the body of Christ. It's a text for the church. Um, and so let's read together uh, Romans chapter 10 verses 13 through 17, and then let's dig into it and ask God to open our hearts to what he has to say to us this morning. Romans 10, 13 through 17, I'm reading from the ESV uh, version. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You know, when we think back on our lives, and as I get older, I know this to be more and more true, uh, we remember not weeks, not years, not even days. We remember moments. Remember those specific times where something touches us and we remember it. And it only has come to us perhaps one time and it's there. And we remember it. I know each one of you have those memories. And I distinctly remember in 2014 we'd been in Uganda living there for about a year. Um, and I was in the Metu Mountains. And you've heard a lot about the Metu Mountains from the brothers and sisters who have come. And by the way, we want more of you to come. Keep coming, keep coming. And we had gone past Ijujo, and we were at one point, and the, the Metu Mountains, for those that haven't been there, are similar to the Southern Appalachians. Not big, you know, but pretty rolling type hills. And I was standing with Tobias, who I think most of you have heard of too, Pastor Tobias from Iowa Baptist, one of our faithful co-workers. And I remember standing and looking at these rolling hills, just beautiful, full of trees, vegetation. I said, Tobias, are there people back there? Tobias says, yes, there's people back there. Ah. Villages back there? Yes, there's villages back there. I said, Tobias, are there churches there? No. No churches. No churches. And we looked at each other and we said, ah, we have to go there then, don't we? A little while later, we, we picked out a place. Tobias was really good. He'd say, well, this is a, this is a village that has no church in it. Because we didn't want to go to villages that even had one church in them. We wanted to go to the areas that had no churches. And we had uh, gone through Arapi Bari and established a church there. And when we, we finished that place, we'd go door, not door to door, call it Tukulu to Tukulu, which is their little homes. We finished there and he said, is, I asked, is the one beyond that? He said, yes, there's Duku. So we go to Duku. Tukulu to Tukulu, small group of believers are formed. I said, is there another one beyond this? He said, yes, there's Oyo. That's, that's the end of the line. So we drove as far as we could in the Land Cruiser. We parked, put our packs on, and we walked. And he sent some people ahead in this situation. He gathered a group of people underneath a tamarind tree, there was probably 25, 30 adults with just untold number of children. 
the population of children in our area is huge compared to adults. There they sat underneath this tamarind tree. And I had an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with them. Um, in those situations, I would typically take a stick and I'd start drawing on the ground illustrations, type of visual type aids so that they could hear the gospel. And this is one of these moments I want to tell you about that, that will, it's, it's, it's welded in my mind. They were listening. They weren't saying this, but they, were, they weren't saying it with the words, but they were saying it with their body language, with their eyes. It's like they were saying, why, why has not someone come here before? And told us this. Why? There are 2.8 billion people in the world today, which on average is about two-thirds of the world's population in the world today, about two-thirds, that have little or no access to the gospel. That means they don't have a church in their area. They don't have a neighbor that can, that can go to them and share the gospel. They have little to no access to the gospel. How does that sit with you? How does that sit with me? I pray that God will just let that just permeate our souls today. And that's the context of the message that I want to bring to you this morning. I think it's the context of our passage of Scripture that we're looking at today. Verse 13 starts out and says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah! <laughs> That is good news. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Saved from what? <laughs> I always ask these so what questions. Saved. You know, as Christians, sometimes we, we have to be careful. We, we have our own little cultural language. We say saved, and we'll talk about it and say, what are you talking about saved? What's the, what do you mean saved? What are we saved from? We're saved from the wrath of God. We're saved from God. Think about this. We're saved from God's wrath by God's love in the person of Jesus Christ. Whew. Doesn't that blow your mind? We're saved from God by God through the, through the Son of Jesus Christ. We, the cross. At the cross, what do we see at the cross? We see God's great love. We see his great, amazing love that he would come and rescue us. And at the same time, we see the wrath of God. That our sin is so horrible, so terrible, that it took the Son of God himself to pay the penalty. 
So at the cross, we see the love of God. We see the wrath of God. And those two come together in the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is good news. When I was 20 years, I can read, this is another one of those moments. <laughs> I'm sorry. When I was 20 years old, that's 44 years ago, so you can figure out how old I am now. Uh, I was on a dusty gravel road outside of St. Olaf, Iowa. One o'clock, midnight, something like that, at night, and it was a starlight night. I had to stop my vehicle, and I got out of my vehicle, and I grew up in the church. I knew about God. I knew a lot of information about God, but I did not know him. But that night, I met him. My heart was broken. My heart was open. The tears flowed, and I said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I deserve your judgment. I believe you died on the cross for me. I give you my life. I call upon you, and I was forgiven. And I said, I will do whatever you want. I will go wherever you want me to go, and I was forgiven. I called upon the name of the Lord, and I was saved. That is good news. That is good news. So that's, that's the start of the, the passage here. Is this really, really good news? And so I want us, in the light of verse 13, to work through this passage. It sets up the following verses. Verse 13 does. And you, we see this logical progression that Paul is making here. Did you notice? I know you noticed. <laughs> I tried to even emphasize it when I was reading it. The word how, and how, and how, four times. It's used four times. Each one of these phrases ends with a, with a question that's connected to the previous phrase. And what I would like us to do this morning is work backwards from Verse 15a, the first question, back to how can they call on him who they have not believed? And so 15a says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? Working on that word sent here. All of us are sent. John 20, 21 says what? As the Father has sent me, so I send you. No exceptions. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a sent one. There's that general sending that God has given to each of us. And then we find, I think is a pattern, an example in Acts 13, um, the church at Antioch. The church had kind of hunkered down in Jerusalem Acts 7, we have Stephen preaching. He's stoned. Acts 8, 1, it says persecution came. And it, you know, this is what happens when the church just hunkers down. What does God do? He does this. One way or the other, he gets people out. They were scattered out about, and the church is established in Antioch. And as they're praying in Antioch, 
The Holy Spirit says, I want Paul and Barnabas to go. And at the same time, it says in verse 3, the church sent them out. The church sent out their best. <laughs> they didn't send out, okay, let's take these guys over here that are not teaching, not doing the work of the gospel, and we'll send them out. No, it was Paul and Barnabas. The task of reaching, this is, and y'all at Rocky Point really got this down. We, Carol and I have the advantage now of traveling in a lot of different churches. And I, I want to just brag on you a little bit. Y'all are sending. You're doing it right. That's what the call of the local church is to be, is to be a sending church. The task of reaching the world, the task of reaching these 2.8 billion people is the responsibility of the local church. Not individuals, not parachurch organizations, but the local church. Listen to this. This, I think, is really important. The strength of a local church is not primarily in how many members they seat, but in how many members they are sending forth to the nations. Did you catch that? The strength of a local church is not primarily in how many members they seat, but in how many members they are sending forth to the nations. Praise God for Rocky Point. Tony just listed off a number of people that you're sending out and that you're supporting that are sent out. I, I really, I think one of the times I was here, I, I even said this before, I praise God for missionary heroes. I mean, I love Hudson Taylor. I love William Carey. They inspire me. John Patton, you know, these guys are, are some of my heroes. But I think we sometimes do a disservice in the church when we put emphasis on the missionary. The emphasis needs to be on the local church. I firmly, firmly believe this, brothers and sisters, that Satan is far more fearful of a local church that is on fire for missions than any one individual. That's what Satan fears. He fears a local church that is stirred up as a local church to get the gospel out. At Reaching Africa's Unreached, we, we really focus on the primacy of the local church. Whenever we're working in Uganda, like say in the Metu Mountains, we're always working side by side with the local church. When we go out and do evangelism, uh, and our emphasis is training up and strengthening leaders in the church so that the local church can be stronger and become a multiplying church. And so when we do that, we're always working with, like we work with Pastor Tobias, we go in Yumbi, which is a strongly Muslim area, and we go and do evangelism. We're working with uh, Pilgrim Church and with that church group. Uh, when we have groups coming, like y'all, how, how does Rocky Point send their teams? It's through the church. And teachers and leaders are coming from the church. And so 
primacy of missions should be in the church. And it's the local church that does the sending. And sad to say, most churches aren't like Rocky Point. They're not doing very well in the sending department. What does Matthew 9, 37 through 38 say? Jesus said, look at the fields. Just look at them. They're white under harvest. And what's the problem? There's few workers. Few workers. Not all people are called to send. And yeah, you won't hear me saying, be, uh, uh, not all people are called to, to go, but all people are called to send. The Lord says that the nations are his. Do you believe that? Satan is a usurper. He's a usurper. Jesus takes claim on all the nations of the world. What, often what we do when we have Sudanese or people from Yumbi, we make it a habit to say, like if they're from Yumbi, we, we say, and we make this confession, Jesus says, Yumbi is mine. Jesus says, Sudan is mine. Jesus says, the Metu Mountains are mine. Jesus says, Stephenville is mine. Amen? Jesus says, Stephenville is mine. The world is mine. There's not one square inch on this earth that does not belong to him. Satan is a usurper. And we are called to go. It's our mandate. John 10, 16 one of, the, one of the times I was with you, that was my text. Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and I must bring them in. Not maybe, I must. I will bring them in. And how is he going to do that? Through his church, through his people. If you'll just let me indulge you with a few, some, some personal stories here from Metu, Yumbi, the Sudanese. My brothers and sisters, my heart is, is so often broken by the many appeals that are, that are made. And, and those of you that have been there have heard these appeals as well. Charles from Yumbi says, ah, Jacob, we need you to come more. There's, there's this other area that's, that doesn't have a church in it. You need to come. Uh, in the Metu Mountains, over the past year, God has given us the opportunity to plant nine churches. I mean, the hard part is training and discipling. But Toby said, there's 20 more villages that don't have a single church in them. We need to go there, Jacob. Yes. Down in Obungi. Some of you have been in Obungi. It's a, they tell me it's a town of about 20,000 plus. The town of Obungi itself is almost like 99% Muslim. We have one little church there, Obungi Town Church. And Godfrey says, come. The moms want to hear from you. Uh, 
And then the Sudanese are saying, we need you to come here. The heart, we, God has people here in the U.S. that should be there. Amen? I mean, it's just not right. It should be unacceptable to you and me as Christians that there are this many people in the world that don't have access to the gospel. And it's the local church's responsibility to, to be sending and not sending out any, sending out their best. You know, Tobias from Little Oya Baptist Church, I was there first in 2010. It was just struggling, just barely alive. And as we started going to these different places, well, who's going to shepherd these people? Well, Toby says, well, I have a youth leader. We can, we can help him go there. And all of Tobias's people were going out to these places that we were, you know, you think, well, that's going to kill a church. No. That church is growing. It's becoming stronger because of its sending its best people. What does God do? I think you probably have seen that even here. You say, oh, we're, we're sending out our good people. That's going to kill us. No, it won't. <laughs> no, it won't. In Sudan, for instance, we're, and Rocky Point is helping train Sudanese. These are North Sudanese that are from Darfur, Nuba Mountains, Blue Nile states, uh, they, they were from tribes that were 99.9% .9 Muslim. God, in his providence, sent them to camps in South Sudan. War broke out in South Sudan. Then they were sent to our area. Refugees twice removed. And they got saved in the midst of all that. And these are some of the people that Rocky Point people are training and they maybe told you already, their heart is to go back to the Sudan. Do you know, I just read this. Bashir, who was the dictator over Sudan for like 30-some years, Sharia law in Sudan, a very Islamic country, open celebration of Christmas in Khartoum the first time in 30 years. The first time in 30 years. Our brothers from Sudan say, God is doing a big work in Sudan. And people are getting saved. But we don't have any way to train leaders. How's that going to happen? The local church sending people out. We go on to the next question. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? They cannot hear without being preached to. Mark 16, 15 says, preach the gospel to who? Everyone. If Jesus says we're supposed to preach to everyone, that means there's no closed doors to preaching the gospel. Some maybe are more difficult, but there's no closed doors. We're supposed to preach the gospel to everyone. Hearing is connecting to preaching. And there's nothing subjective in this type of 
hearing either. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Just this last summer, um, for two and a half years, we had opportunity to, to meet with sheikhs and imams in Yumbi. Sometimes 20 to 30, 35 at one time. And we were doing that and suddenly the higher ups said no more. Because they were, one of the sheikhs got saved. And the other ones were kind of like King Agrippa. You've almost persuaded us. And so the higher ups said no more. And so much so that the highest one was actually making death threats towards Charles and myself and Omar. But by God's grace, he's opened that door up where I had a meeting with him and another higher up two times this summer where he came in and we met face to face. He sort of apologized, which is okay. And he says, Jacob, it's okay for you to come back and start meeting with our moms and shakes, but we only want you to teach agriculture. I said to him, right to his face, I said, oh, that's like cutting off one of my arms. I expect you as a Muslim to try to preach to me, to convert me to Islam, and you must know that as a Christian, I'm going to try to win you to Jesus. And I can't do that. You have to preach... It's not good enough just to go meet with them and teach them agriculture as good as that is. We have to be able to preach. Because without preaching, they don't hear the gospel. So we can't do that. And so we still haven't yet. Because they're sticking to their ground and we're sticking to our ground. But the point being is that you can't think, well, I'll, I'll do this and then... Maybe I'll preach. It'll, no, we have to go in with the intention that we're going to preach the gospel always, whether it's in Stephenville or Uganda. For the gospel to be heard, it must be proclaimed. Preached is, another word for preach is proclaimed, herald. It has to be proclaimed with what? Words. In other words, we have to open our mouth. Someone said, I read this somewhere, so this is not original with me. He, this person said, the gospel without words is like a dictionary with blank pages. The gospel without words is like a dictionary without, with blank pages. So preaching, speaking is the primary means of God saving people. Acts 26, 18, Jesus says to Paul and to us, I'm sending you to open their eyes. When I read that, at first I go, wait a minute. I thought it's God that opens eyes, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> but here he's saying, I'm sending you to open eyes. How does he open eyes? Through you and me, preaching, so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And it must be clearly and rightly proclaimed. I think it was George Whitfield who said, if I've spent 15 minutes with a person and somehow I have not mentioned Christ 
in that 15 minutes, I'm a failure. We ought to be strategizing how we're going to speak the word of the gospel with every conversation. So we go on. But before we do, I, I think it's important for us, you know, we talk about we have to preach. And then what about doing these deeds of mercy and goodness? Titus 2.10, it says, doing deeds of mercy adorns the gospel. I mean, you saw in the video medical outreaches that we've done, agricultural things, um, water wells. But we need to keep in mind that doing deeds of mercy adorns the gospel, but the gospel is not heard through the deeds of mercy. It's heard through proclamation. So good works adorn it. They make it beautiful, make it appealing, make it receptive. They adorn it. One of the words I like to use when I'm introducing Carol in, she's already looking down. Uh, when I introduce her in, in, in Moya with, with Mari being the language, I say, she's my Pele Palanda, which means she's my very, very beautiful wife. And she's very, very beautiful. Now, when she puts on a beautiful dress, what does that do? It adorns her beauty. It adorns her beauty. Uh, a necklace adorns. What does is, what is doing a deed of mercy do? It adorns the gospel. It makes people's hearts receptive, open. Um, the first time I met with some sheikhs and imams, uh, I still remember seeing them walk in with their long robes and their hats, and my heart was beating, and we had brought uh, reading glasses with us. And I saw one of the older imams and fitted him with some reading glasses and said, you know, this is how you can read your Quran a little bit better. I've got the right number for him. We did that for like maybe 10 or 12 of them. You know, they walked in with, they were like this. But you almost could see they were ready to hear the gospel. One of those meetings in one of the imams, whenever we would meet with them, we, we began with medicines and glasses, and I would always say, this is not string. There's no strings attached to this. This is because Christians back in America love you. They love you, and they care for you. And so this malaria medicine, these reading glasses, are just acts of love towards you. And that just softened their heart. We were in a trading center um, when we go to trading centers, we pick out the ones that are the most Muslim ones. We go in and we do one-on-one -on -one evangelism. We were in this one place for the first time, Kula Kalinga. We were walking. No one wanted to take a gospel track. No one wanted to talk to us. And here comes one of these imams that had been at our meeting, walked over, greeted. I gave him a big Texas hug. We talked for just a short time. Said goodbye, 
you know what? After that, everyone was willing to take a gospel track. They're all willing to come listen to the preaching. So it adorns the gospel. When we go up into the Metu Mountains, Colton saw some of the places that we... Where's Colton anyway? He's in the nursery, okay. He saw some of the places we've drilled wa water wells in the Metu Mountains. Place, they were getting water out of little stinky holes, literally. Their children were always sick, and now they have clean water. What does that do to a mother whose child's all been, always been sick with water that's making their... How does that make that person say, okay, maybe I want to hear what this person has to say? So, and so we can't, we, I don't like the idea of, well, we, this is mercy ministry, this is gospel ministry. They, they just have to be kind of mixed together almost. They're just right together in the midst of our preaching the good news, we're showing kindness. After all, what does Romans 2 says? It was the kindness of the Lord that led us to what? Repentance. The kindness of the Lord led us to repentance. So we preach, we proclaim, in the midst of that we're doing works of mercy that adorn the gospel. And how are they to believe, the next phrase, up, closer to 13, and how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? One cannot believe unless they've heard the gospel. Simply put, the biblical historic gospel must be faithfully preached. There is one gospel, one way of salvation, and we must not be ashamed of it. Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his coming back to receive us as believers and to judge the unbelievers. And it's also important that we bring it with passion. People must see our conviction that we really believe, that we're really, we really, really believe it. <laughs> I don't like it when people say, well, it's okay if you believe this or you know. That, that, that's not showing love. You know, just a couple weeks ago, we were th with another group of Muslims, these leaders, they were the higher level sheikhs are over like 250 uh, mosques. And boy, I tell you, Carol was like, they were, they were like really getting at me. It was a blistering attack. Was it not, Carol? <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, you know, inside I'm kind of grinding my teeth, going, whoa, what's, what's going to be the response? My response was, okay. I understand you're Muslims and you want me to be a Muslim, but I, I need to tell you that Jesus is the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way that you're going to be saved and go to heaven is by trusting in Jesus. And I, That's the greatest love that I can show you is that I'm sharing the gospel with you. That's why we have left our home, our children, our lovely grandchildren, is so that we can be with you. Because one of their statements that they kept, Jacob, you don't really love us. You say you love us, but you don't love us. 
I said, yes, I do love you. I do love you. The only thing that can, do we not love our grandchildren? Yes, we love our grandchildren. We love our children and, and their spouses. We love our friends and our family here. The only thing that can overcome that love is a greater love. Right? That's the only thing that can overcome a love is a greater love. It doesn't mean that the other love is not there. The greater love is we love you, you shakes and, and your moms. You're over all these mosques. You're responsible for these people. We love you so much that you need to have Jesus. And so there has to be passion when you're sharing with your neighbors. They have to really believe that you believe. Right? Now, in our, in our gospel, we have one gospel, right? But there might be different methods and strategies when we bring it to people. If you look at Paul's sermon in Acts 13 where he's preaching in the synagogue, and you look at his sermon in Acts 17 when he's in Athens, Acts 13, he starts with Abraham. Acts 17, he starts with creation. And so there's different points that we are going to emphasize. But that's what we're praying for the Holy Spirit to always give us that wisdom. What's my, what's my little in to get the gospel in t- to the folks? How then will they call on him who they have not believed? True belief is not just an intellectual understanding. I think we understand that well in America. It's not just believing certain facts. I grew up in the church. I knew all the Bible stories and um, songs and hymns. So true belief is not just an intellectual understanding. And neither, neither is it a commitment without intellectual understanding. For instance, there was, there was one visiting evangelist that came to Yumbi, this Muslim area, and he was preaching, and he said, Everyone who loves Jesus, raise your hand. The audience were Muslims. You know, hundreds of Muslims raised their hand. I love Jesus. You're saved. Were they saved? No. Every Muslim loves Jesus. I had a sheikh shake his finger. Playing words there, I guess. Shake, shake his finger. Right in my face. Say, Jacob, we love Jesus. We love him more than you. He was a good Muslim. So they didn't have understanding. Their understanding of Jesus was a different Jesus. So there has to be a correct understanding for salvation too. So it's not just intellectual understanding and neither is a commitment without intellectual understanding. The point being here that unless facts are proclaimed, the message is not Christianity. And unless facts are understood and believed, the faith that follows is not true faith regardless of how intense it is. Let me say that again. Unless unless facts are proclaimed, the message is not Christianity and 
unless the facts are understood and believed, the faith that follows is not true faith, regardless of the intensity. So now we're all the way back to verse 13. All who call upon the Lord are saved. So these steps of, of sending, preaching, hearing, believing, all are a part of our task in reaching the unreached. Then we get to verse 15b, which is kind of like using that word adorn. It, it adorns all these passages. It says, um, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so here, the feet underscores what? The sending and the going. And this is a quote from Isaiah 52, 7. But there's one change in Isaiah. It says, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings the good news. Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those. He changes it to plural, which I think is significant and brings home the point that the body of Christ together must be involved in reaching the lost. There's an old saying, I don't know where it's from, but beauty is as beauty does. Beauty is as beauty does. Beauty is related to action and character, not looks. We have that example in 1 Samuel 16 where it says, God, man looks at the outward, but what does God look at? He looks at the heart. He's looking at the actions that flow from the heart. And the most beautiful action that you and I can do is bringing the gospel to the lost. I remember reading the story of, a, of an Indian evangelist who loved Jesus and his passion was to get the gospel to the lost. And he heard about some village that was several hilltops away. And he didn't have shoes. He was very poor. And so he spent several days walking to get to, to the village. And he enters the village. And he shares the gospel with the leaders of the village and with the village itself. I think this is in a John Stott book where I read it. Um, and they chase him out. They just literally chase him out of the village. Being tired, he sat down at the foot of the tree and he just cried out to God, why do these people need the gospel? And being so tired, he was sitting at the tree with his back to the tree with his feet out and he fell asleep. And when he woke up, he could see villagers, including the leaders, all looking at him. And they were especially looking at his feet. They were looking at his feet. And they could see that his feet were cut and bruised from the long journey that he had made. And one of the elders, the leaders of the village said, we've been looking at your feet. And we realized that you came a long ways to tell us whatever you wanted us to, to hear. And you suffered. We can see it in your feet. So we've redecided, and we want you to come 
share this news with us again. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Verse 16, not all believe though, do they? It's not our business. Our business is to preach to everyone. Verse 16 says, not all are going to believe. I don't know who's not going to believe. I don't know who's going to believe. My business is to preach. Some plant, some water, but what does God do? He gives the increase. And so I think that's the exhortation there that we need to be hearing. Sure, not everyone's going to believe, but everyone needs to hear. They need to have the opportunity to hear. So faith comes from hearing. So faith, where does it come from? Hearing. And where does hearing come from? The word of Christ. And where does the word of Christ come from? The person who's preaching it. Where does the person from preaching it come from? From where they're sent. So here we're right back to the end of our passage. One of those moments that I think probably everyone in this room probably can remember is 9-11. I was in Seguin outside of LifeGate when I heard the news. And I will never forget that day. Some days later I was watching the news and there was a, there was a picture that someone had taken that just captured the essence of what I want to share with you this morning. In this picture, you had the Twin Towers burning. They hadn't fallen yet, so they're smoking. And and so, the towers are right here. And in the picture, you had people that their faces were full of ash and dirt, and they were running. And I remember one person in the picture was looking back at the towers, and you just... You could just see the fear. And they were just running. There was a big group of people running. In the same picture, the same picture, there were other people running to the towers. Policemen, rescuers, etc. were going to those towers. Right? So you had people running away. And in the same picture, you had people running too. Why were they going? Wow, those things are burning. <laughs> They're burning. Why were they going? There's people there. And what do they need? They need help. <laughs> they need to be rescued. They're in a building that is burning. And they need to be rescued. Did they have fear in their heart? Probably. But you know what courage is? Courage is not the absence of fear. It's when we overcome that fear. They had courage and they said, we are going. And they lost their lives rescuing people. But they rescued people. Is that not the picture of the church? We have people in the church... The majority of the people in the church running away. That tower is the 2.8 billion people that are perishing. 
that will not hear unless someone goes, unless someone sends them. Most of the people are going like this. We in the church, we at Rocky Point need to be like those running. As John Piper so aptly puts, he says, we care about all suffering, most especially eternal suffering. That's your call. That's my call. And in closing, I want to leave a a challenge uh, to you as individuals, couples, families, and lastly as a church. I would ask that the next 24 hours, you as individuals, as couples, as families, would pray seriously that the Lord is calling you to go and be part of reaching the 2.8 billion. And be willing to obey. Can I get that commitment from you? That you will, as individuals, young, you, you, young people, that you will pray and say, Lord, I am here. Call me to stay if I'm supposed to stay. I will go. And then be willing to obey. And then talk to your church leader. And if God is calling you to stay, ask God how you can leverage all you have, all that you have to reach those 2.8 billion. Some of you that are history buffs know that during World War II, there were some of those years that there weren't hardly any cars made. I think one of the years there wasn't any cars made because all the factories were, were making airplanes or tanks or whatever was necessary to win the war effort. People uh, had their own gardens. Uh, people were doing everything to win the war. They had a, what we would call a war mentality. That's what we need. My brothers and sisters, life is short. Isn't it? I mean, as I have, I'm, I'm getting older, but it's just as short for you younger ones. It's short. We only have one opportunity. We only have one opportunity to do the work of the gospel here on the earth. So would you pray the next 24 hours, if I am to go, I want to go. If I'm to stay, help me leverage everything. And I want to encourage you as a church, and I speak specifically to the leaders of the church, encourage you to keep pushing forward like you are in sending people out. And by all means, please keep sending people to us. You... You coming to us, <laughs> Carol could maybe, it is such an encouragement. You've been, been to our, our place four times now, I think. Is that right? And each time you've come with love and care. Um, we sent our, our daughter and our son-in-law. The ministry of presence is is. Is so important. 
send, send people. We have opportunities to train leaders. We have opportunities to train. Um, remember ladies that were here last? I can't see where y'all are at. But last time we were in a jujo. And what did the ladies say in the church? Ah, we need, we need ladies to come train and teach. Young people, evangelism, going, there's 20 villages up in the Metu Mountains. If you've got good legs, I'll take you, and we'll go. Um, they're just waiting to hear the gospel. The Metu Mountains is one of those places like, you go and preach, and you have a handful of believers. Of course, then after that, you have to disciple them, and that's why we have the training of leaders and the things that we're doing there. So, as a church, keep doing that, please, and leverage everything you can. I thank you for giving me this opportunity. I hope I haven't been too long. You know, in Africa, you can, we, our services go long. <laughs> we can go until 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, keep going, but we won't do that. Thank you so very, very much. God bless you for this opportunity. We're here for another week. We get to spend a little more time this time here with y'all. So I hope we get an opportunity to visit maybe more on a personal level with, with some of you as well. Let's pray and ask God to cement these words into our heart. Lord God, we thank you so much for the love that you have lavished upon us. We thank you that we had opportunity to hear the gospel. We've had opportunity to read your word. Uh, we have had opportunity um, to be around believers. But yet we know that there are so many in the world today that do not have that opportunity. And so we pray that you would send forth, that you would thrust forth laborers into the harvest field. Lord, I pray boldly and confidently that from this congregation, from this congregation, that you will send people to these lost, to these unreached, unengaged people, that you will begin training them and raising them up. I pray that you prosper this church in every way, in its sending and in its going. Uh, Carol and I are so grateful for the love that you have shown us through our brothers and sisters here. Pray your blessings on Rocky Point Baptist Church. Bless them and fill them with your wisdom and your guidance and an increasing passion to reach their own city, their own state, our own country, and our world. And we will give you the glory in Jesus' name.